It's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you? I am thrilled to be back. Back to have you on the radio show and podcast where we highlight idealism and idealists, humans, humans working to make the world better. And then on top of that, <laughs> as if that wasn't enough, on top of that, I'm thrilled to report that this show, what you're listening to right at this moment, uh, is the 300th, like 300, 300, 100th episode of LE 2.0 Radio. Wow. I'll talk more about that in the C Block. And for today, we have the big interview with Jenna Cruz. She is with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in, in America. You may recall about a month ago, I highlighted uh, Shannon Watts, the founder of Moms uh, Demand Action, and the work that they do around uh, preventing gun violence. And so I went and got our, one of our local Mom Demand Action leaders, and you're going to enjoy hearing from uh, Jenna Cruz about uh, what it is that she, her, she and her organization is doing. Very, very important work. But um, let us begin with our featured idealist of the week. And I highlight her against the backdrop of what's happening in the Middle East at the moment. As things stand right now, that is on October 21st, we are two weeks exactly past Hamas's, the Hama, Hamas, Hamas terrorists killing 1,400 Israelis and abducting nearly 200 hostages. And they've been finding some of those hostages dead, unfortunately. We're also in the midst of the Israeli military bombing, the hell out of Gaza and killing and injuring thousands of Palestinians. And this week, President Joe went to Israel to pledge America's undying support. And two nights ago, he went on national TV to argue that the democracies of the world are at risk because of the crisis in the Middle East and the war in Ukraine. We are, it would appear, at a precipice of the kind that we have not seen for decades. And unfortunately, no one knows how it will play out. So who knows how the world's going to look a week from now when you hear my voice again. I don't know. And I am fearful about that. I am. I'll admit that. And moreover, before I go any further, I want to state emphatically, okay, I, we need to get this on the record, that I support Jews and the Jewish people. Uh, it, they are a group that for centuries has been targeted and killed over and over and over. And today in the U.S., that includes a dramatic rise in anti-Semitism and attacks on Jewish people. None of that, none of that is right. I, I am a staunch, staunch advocate and ally for the Jewish community, Okay. However, I also support the rights of Palestinians to live without oppression or violence in their lives. They're, they have, for now decades as well, suffered from great oppression. And with all of that said, we must separate out the country of Israel as a political and military entity that engages in actions which are often contrary to international law. We must separate out Israeli government and military from the Jewish people, okay? And I know that there are a lot of Jews that would, under, that would understand <coughs> that, that separation <coughs> 
And I know that there are some people that would not understand that. That's why this is tricky for me to talk about, but I'm not going to shy away from talking about it because I am an inclusionist. I am a unifier, not a divider. I am somebody who believes in the need for protecting humanity in general, okay? And all of that brings us to our idealist, an American woman named Rachel Corey, spelled C-O-R-R-I-E, who went to Gaza in early 2003, now we're talking 20 years ago, to resist Israeli military efforts to displace Gazans from their homes. And as a consequence of Rachel Corey doing that, tragically, she was killed. Who was Rachel Corey? By all accounts, she grew up in a liberal middle-class family in Olympia, Washington, where she also attended college at the Evergreen State College, also in Olympia. So she was a hometown kid who went to college in her hometown, something Ellie Krug did as well. She was, uh, she was a human concern for the world in a variety of ways. For example, she took off a year from college to volunteer with the Washington State Conservation Corps. And while in college, for three years, she visited patients battling mental illness, mental health challenges in, in various institutions. And while in college, Rachel Corey became a committed peace activist. Do you hear that phrase? Peace activist. And joined the International Solidarity Movement, ISM, which is a pro Palestine group. She helped to organize Olympians for Peace and Solidarity to protest uh, Israeli army policies in Gaza and the West Bank. Um, and for an independent study in her senior year, so this would be the second semester of her senior year, so we're getting into the spring of 2003, uh, she um, put together a a, uh, an internship, an idea for an internship, an independent study, excuse me, uh, to work with the International Solidarity Movement um, in Gaza. She wanted to create a sister city program between Olympia, Washington, and the city of Rafa. We've been hearing about Rafa because it's been the subject of bombing um, in the last two weeks. Before leaving for Gaza, Rachel Corey also organized a pen pal program between children Olympia and Rafa, now you, obviously Rachel Corey understood this fundamental thing, which was have humans talk to each other from different backgrounds. Have them, have them communicate. They form friendships. They get to see, they, they change their perspective about each other because they become familiar with them. This is core Ellie Krug work. Not that this is about Ellie Krug, but I'm just trying to help you to understand why I'm talking about this, why this is so incredibly important to me to me as a human, why Rachel Corey is important to me as a human. Once in Gaza, Rachel Corey saw firsthand how the Israeli military demolished homes with bulldozers purportedly to clear the land and search for tunnels between Gaza and Egypt, which Hamas and other terrorist organizations would use to smuggle in weapons. But understand that this was wholesale demolition. I mean, it's not like they were like getting a warrant and going into one house and saying, okay, we're going to go through your basement and we're going to go into a tunnel. That's not the way it worked, okay? And I don't have the exact time frame before Rachel went to Gaza, but, uh, but by the time she had gotten to Gaza, the military had blown up or built, bulldozed 
582 homes and then damaged another 721. So I live out in a housing development that has at least 400 homes in it. So that would be like the military coming in and bulldozing every one of those homes and more to boot, okay? And in the process, just this one kind of push by the uh, the uh, Israeli military, I mean, it made 5,300 people, including children, homeless. Rachel Corey, and I would say millions of other people would consider that a grave injustice. You know, you, you have a problem, Israeli military, and I think everybody can understand what that problem is. But rather than surgically deal with the problem, you go in and wholesale and you destroy whole home, whole neighborhoods, okay? So in an effort, so Rachel Corey goes to Gaza, okay? She's in her senior year of college. She's an idealistic, idealistic, brave woman. And in an effort to impede the destruction of homes, Rachel and other independent solidarity movement members would literally place their bodies between bulldozers and Palestinian homes. They'd have bullhorns where they were, you know, shouting at the, you know, the soldiers and the, and the bulldozers. And in many cases, the Israelis backed off. They did. They were impeding, you know, they were, it was working. They were at least delaying the destruction of homes. But unfortunately, on March 16th of 2003, a bulldozer didn't back off as Rachel Corey stood in front of the bulldozer holding um, a uh, bullhorn. Uh, the bulldozer went forward and it ran over Rachel Corey, crushing her. Shortly thereafter, she died at a local hospital. Now, you got to understand, at this time in March of 2003, the U.S. was a couple of days away from starting the Iraq war. The U.S. had just was about to invade Iraq. Rachel Corey gets killed, and Bush, President Bush got on the phone and, and called uh, Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon and, and, and requested that there, be, I don't know if he demanded, I don't know, but said there needed to be an investigation in Rachel Corey's death, okay? So, you know, the Israeli military investigated itself, okay? You know, you have an idea where that went, all right? And subsequently, Rachel Corey's parents sued the Israeli government for a dollar, just for a dollar, because they wanted an accounting of what actually had happened to their daughter. Did the, for example, did the bull, the bull, the claim was that the bulldozer driver didn't see Rachel Corey. Um, eyewitness accounts say that she was on top of a dirt pile that the bulldozer was going to start moving, and she was standing on front of it with the bullhorn you know, in the face of the uh, bulldozer driver. I mean, you know, so, but her parents wanted, they sued um, in an international court. They demanded an accounting of, well, they sued in Israel, demanding an accounting of what happened and to hold um, the responsible Israeli soldiers for it to hold them in account. The end result was not favorable, however. Israel concluded that the bulldozer operator's view of Rachel was obstructed and they didn't intentionally run over her. That conflicted with accounts of other ISM protesters at the scenes, but ultimately the Supreme Court of Israel sided with the military and tossed out the case. And note, I mean, Rachel Corey was only 23 years old when she was killed 
for her idealism. In the wake of Rachel Corey's death, her parents founded the Rachel Corey Foundation for Peace and Justice. You can go, go Google that name. Its foundation is still in existence. It works to foster connections between humans and cooperation between local and global communities. Again, getting past the fear that we have of others, becoming familiar with each other, allowing perspectives to change, and then getting, like, you know, relationships and peace. Additionally, in 2005, actor Alan Rickman, you may recall him from Harry Potter fame, and journalist Catherine Viner uh, composed a play. And the play's title was My Name is Rachel Corey, which is based on Rachel's journals and emails. The play was later published as a paperback and performed in 10 countries, including in Israel. Although I will tell you the play and then other accounts publicly where people like colleges and universities wanted to talk about her death um, attracted a lot of controversy, okay, because people are like, you're attacking Jews, not the Israeli government, and that's not actually, that's, no, there's a difference, okay. Um, also, several singers, including, including Billy Bragg, have composed songs about Rachel Corey and her death. So obviously, this idealist left a legacy. The legacy continues even to today. As I've said before, being idealistic is often not at all easy and sometimes extremely dangerous. Rachel Corey's work and death reminds us of this very, very grim reality. As we go forward um, with wherever Middle East events will lead us, and right now, I don't know where they're going to lead us. Um, will you please remember the bravery and courage and idealism of a young woman named Rachel Corey? Please remember her, because indeed, we need millions and millions more like her. We do. Okay, that's it for our A block. Um, please check up on Rachel Corey. Just Google the name and you'll get a whole lot of information. When we come back, we're going to do the big interview with Jenna Cruz with Moms Demand Action. And then we'll head on to my C block and then we'll be all done for today. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the few, relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. I'll be back in a moment. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio, um, please uh, do me that favor and reach, uh, read up on Rachel Corey. Please, please do that. Um, okay, and I'll have something else for you to read up um, with our next guest. I've got, I am thrilled 
to have Jenna Cruz here um, with me. Uh, Jenna is is uh, with Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Jenna, Jenna, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We're really, really, um, really excited. Now, I will tell you, um, a, about a month ago, all right, um, I actually did a piece because the way the show works is in the beginning segment, I kind of highlight idealistic individuals or organizations. And I talked about Moms Demand Action. And then, right. you know, it was so, for me, so intriguing and so important. I worked to get you on the show so you can come and talk about it, okay? Awesome. So tell us, uh, tell us what Moms Demand Action is to remind my listeners and anyone who is a new listener. Tell, tell us what, what, what is the organization. Give us a little bit of the history about how it came about. Yeah, so Moms Demand Action is um, all across the United States. It's a group dedicated to grassroots efforts around decreasing gun violence. Um, this is by means of you know community action, but a big push in the um, political aspect of getting policy changes. Um, it was formed by <clears throat> Shannon Watts, and she. You know, it was after I, I think I can't can't remember which mass shooting, which is always sad when you can't pinpoint which one. But um, was a mom that wanted Sand, to form. It was Sandy Hook yeah. after Sandy yes. Hook. Yep. Um, so yeah, and uh, just been been on the move since then, and really has been I think one one if not the biggest catalyst to getting any kind of gun legislation passed. Well, and you have chapters in all 50 states, is that right? Yeah, that okay. is correct. And you're yep. with the Minnesota chapter. Correct, yep. Yeah. And then within Minnesota, we break down into our um, different areas. And some are very large, like there's, um, you know, some northern Minnesota groups that cover a pretty big area. Um, I'm in the Carver County group, so we are the, the, whole, the whole county, west, east, north, south. Um, and ours is in, an interesting group because we span, you know, kind of we get into the more rural area and yeah. then, you know, more urban. So, yeah, well, Carver is Carver County is getting to be pretty purple in a variety of ways. Um, it is. Yep. So so give me an idea of, of what kind of advocacy is the organization doing and what are you doing in Carver County specifically? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I would say statewide, the biggest, you know, we, there were some big wins last legislative um, session where extreme risk um, protection orders were passed, uh, also known as red, red flag laws. Um, and that, that was a big deal. Uh, but as I say, baby steps. So there's a ton more work to be done. Um, I personally like to focus on my own community where I'm at and you know, I think when people really focus on where they live to try and make that area the best it can be. Um, so I've, you know, met with city council. They made um, June, the first weekend in June, National Gun Violence Awareness Day. They lit up a park orange um, and did a post on um, gun violence and how it affects communities. What, what, uh, what town was that, Jenna? That was Chaska. Yep. Sorry, okay. Chaska. And okay. so the goal is to kind of do that in all of our Carver County cities. Um and just really educating, you know, our surrounding areas. There's a big push that we're trying to do with the Be Smart program, which is uh, kind of a, the non-political side of um, the Every Town Moms and Man Action umbrella, and that solely is focused on safe um, gun storage and being a responsible gun owner, and you know how we talk to our kids about it. Um, so that's where we're 
a large focus right now for us. Okay, well, let me back up for a second. Can you yeah. describe what the what's the Minnesota red flag law? What how does that how does that work? And do you know yeah. has it been invoked yet since it was passed? No, that actually goes into effect in January, and okay. so you know my my knowledge on it is somewhat surface too because it's not in effect yet. Um, but the idea is that if you know someone that owns a gun and they are at a risk of harming themselves or others, um, you can file something and that will get that gun taken away. And, you know, you, you go through the whole process of if they can get the gun back and, um, States that already do this see a, a significant decrease in gun violence. Yeah. And, yep. yeah, I'm I'm assuming you can go to the county sheriff and file the application, and then there'll be yep. a, there's a, probably a very quick hearing in front of a judge. It would be an, what's considered yep. an ex parte hearing where yep. the judge, um, the person with the gun isn't represented, and the judge yep. makes a quick decision, and then... And then I'm assuming there's some kind of a psychological evaluation that the gun owner has to go through, but the guns are taken away during that Correct. process, yep. which of course for many people is like, you know, it, it is a red flag. It causes them yep. like, maybe it causes them to go and get some help if, if they exactly. think somebody feels that, you know, that strongly about protecting me or protecting others. Right. So. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, that, I mean, and, but that happened, that starts in January, but in other January. states, but we know yes. in other states, including red states, right? Yes. Because there are some red states where uh, the red flag laws have been in, in, enacted. And in those states, there, you, you've seen some decrease in gun Correct. violence. Okay. Yes. Okay. And just in general, states that have strong um, gun, gun laws, um, have a decrease, you know, we're talking every category, suicide, um, homicide, um, police officer involved shootings. And that's, you know, to the officer and vice versa. You know, it's, right. it's just this, a, a positive domino effect that happens. Well, let's talk about the smart, you call it smart yeah. sense. Um, be, be smart. Yep. <laughs> be smart. Yes. And I was, I was struck because I have heard you speak and you talked about how you and your family have changed your behavior as yes. it relates to asking about guns. So talk about, will you talk about that, please? Yeah. So Be Smart, like I said, is a program aimed at, you know, with guns being the number one killer of children in the United States. Um, it's just a big effort being undertaken right now to educate families on if their child is going to a friend's house or family member's house, you have the conversation with that other adult and ask, you know, just like you ask if there's allergies, is there pets, you know, um, you ask, do you have unsecured firearms? Or if you have guns, are they secured? Um, just normalizing in that conversation. Um, well, you're yeah. right. So, it, the, so it'd be as if, you know, you're, child is going to go to a sleepover. Okay. Yep. I mean, one of the questions I would of course ask is, is the alcohol available? <laughs> you, know? <Yeah. laughs> you know, where, do you, where, question, do, you, yeah. where do you store the alcohol? So, that, <laughs> so I can have some idea about how safe, you know, how accessible it is, yeah, but you're all, yeah. but what you're trying to do, your organization, Moms Demand Action, what mm -hmm. you're trying to do is to, to weave into that conversation about, you know, what, yeah. you know, what, 
Susie's going to come over to the house for a sleepover, but I, you know, I, I don't know you, Julie, yeah. and but I and but I'm sure that everything is going to be great. But I have a little checklist here that I want to ask about. And right. you put in about unsecured guns. Do you know? I mean, have you done this yourself as a mom? Oh, yes. Many times. Um, it was really awkward for me in the beginning. I, you know, I didn't know these people that I'm asking. And here I am asking what feels like a very personal question. But right. right. You have my children and I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep them safe. And in the United States, that is we have to worry about these things. How, are, um, how have the parents reacted to you asking the question? Great. Yeah, there's never been any, you know, weird response or defensiveness. Um, so it's been a great response. And the more I do it, it's just become, you know, second nature now where I don't even I, I don't think about it. I just do it. And. Well, and I talk to my kids a lot about, you know, what would happen if they were to encounter a gun or if someone pulled out a gun at their home and just to even show you what right, you do. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, kids are curious and some yep. kids like to show off and, yes, you know, yep. I mean, adults like to do that too, of course. Um, right. Uh, and, um, okay, Ellie, I lost the thought. It went, <laughs> it went out the door. <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, poor kids, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> well, in, in any of your conversations, have you come across, you know, a parents, a, a gun owners who have said, you know what, I, I, I don't have it secured, but I will make sure it's locked up for when your child comes? I have not, um, but I've had a lot of good conversations. We do a booth at Chaska River City Days. Okay. Um, and we've had so many great conversations with gun owners uh, around this topic and how a lot of gun owners want that quick um, access in case they need their gun if there was a break in, which, you know, we can get in, we won't get into the studies on how that's not actually effective, anyways. But, um, just kind of debunking that, you know, you can have a fingerprint safe and keep your gun. And it, I mean, that's instant ac access. Um, and so just having conversations with these gun owners and, and I do think that we, we get through to people. Uh, a big one is talking to grandparents and I've had some grandparents that have guns and they say, Oh, my, my kids are grown and they're out of here. So, um, you know, we don't have to worry about that. I said, but do you have grandkids? Yeah. And then it's this, Oh yes, I do. You know, yeah, the light bulb. Light bulb. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but and this is great. I mean, I'm glad. You know, you've got the booth and gum. I mean, Carver County. I have no doubt. A lot of gun ownership in Carver County. Oh, and yeah. and yeah. you, but you have people come up in the receptive. See, this is the thing. It's about being having being personal, right? Yeah. Rather than shaming somebody, rather than right. you know lecturing to them, but having establishing a relationship. Plus, yep. it's moms, right? Although I'm sure you've got some dads that are also we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> at the booth. But, you know, I mean, yeah. ever, I, I mean, women bond over their children, okay? And they, yes. you know, they, I mean, they're protectors. We'll do anything to keep them safe. Yeah, they're protectors. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, and we're seeing, aren't we? I mean, we're, I mean, in Minnesota, what, last week, we saw firsthand the account of what happens when you leave a gun um, that yes. is not secured, that doesn't have a trigger lock yep. um, around children, right? Uh, what what yes. what was it that happened last week? So, yeah, it was two uh, minors riding in the back, from what I've read, riding in the back seat of a car and one and there was a gun on the floor and one of them picked it up and ended up shooting the other child. Um, 
and stuff like that plays out every day. Um, and that's just the sad part. And in, in Minnesota, there are laws that um, require. say, if, yes, if you are a gun owner and you have guns around children, you are required to lock them up. They're under 18. Um, and I just don't think it's something that's enforced enough or really, you know, that the language isn't out there enough that and, and what what needs to happen is we hold gun owners responsible in these situations for not being a responsible gun owner. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell tell me, why did you get involved, you know, of all the organizations that you could volunteer your time for? And you're very I mean. You're, I, I saw you speak. You're very effective. Uh, you're ex, ex, exceedingly passionate about this subject, and I compliment yeah. you on that. What what got you involved in this? Um, so I before this, I I was running another community mm-hmm. organization um, called Roar, and that had to do with racism that was yep. happening in our communities. Um, I met someone named Tracy Leggett. She was already a Moms to Men Action volunteer. Um, I am deeply disturbed anytime, you know, there's a mass shooting or you Mm -hmm. hear about, you know, what doesn't get the press is the suicides. But then I also learned the intersectionality of how, um, gun violence disproportionately affects black and brown people. So, you know, I was already doing the work in that sense. Um, but this was just another avenue. Um, and I just, honestly, the biggest drive is that I had so much anxiety about my kids going to school. And I know realistically that's on the lower end of the gun violence statistics, but as a mom, you can't get it out of your head. So yeah, I just, I had to channel my, my energy into something productive and I did research on, you know, what kind of groups are out there. And, you know, I already had been to a moms to men action event and I just liked the energy. I like the directness. I'm a direct person. Um, And, and just that there was a clear path to follow, I think, is what, what got me here. What's the, what, on the national front, what is, uh, what's moms, what are they aiming for with a Congress? Although that's an oxymoron on this point because um, we, yeah. we don't have a functional Congress. We don't. And, and that's where, you know, I try, that is the focus. The focus is to get, you know, states, they're all over the place as to who has what gun law or what legislation passed. And um, so I think, you know, on a national level, it's, it's well, isn't it background checks um, at gun shows, but you know, assault rifles that was going somewhere for a hot minute and that fell off. Um, You know, you just can't seem to keep the traction with a dysfunctional government. Right. Um, And that's why I like to stay focused on states and community based, because I really feel like that gets gets the work done. And that's why I like Moms Demand Action, because it is so community focused. Okay, so tell me this. I mean, you are you're doing this work. okay? and I mean, on top of that, you got a day job and then you've got I've got a family and all of those other things. What what made you do? First of all, do you consider yourself an idealist? You know, somebody that is working for positive change in the world. From the outside, you certainly look like one. And and, yeah. and if so, um, what, what made you so idealistic? You know, I would have to say I've been like this since I was a kid. Um, I, I've always kind of bucked the system for the greater good type of person. I would say I was a little more rough in my approach, you know, 
before, you know, being a mom and, you know, having that experience. Um, but I, I've always been driven in this, in this sense. I'm a passionate person. I do not like to see injustice. Um, and, you know, having kids and having the number one cause of death be firearms in the country we live in. Um, that's what, that's what drives me. Okay. Did you, I mean, was there some experience with you growing up that made you so passionate or, you know, I mean, you know, was nothing, there a, was there a like role model me. that you had? Well, my, I was close to both my parents. My mom was um, similar in personality and she, you know, she was the, uh, the principal secretary and she was her union, you know, steward and fought for better wages type of thing. So I saw that. And then on the other side, you know, my dad was a teacher dedicated his life to teaching. So we we're always involved in the community in that, in that sense. Um, but I grew up in rural Minnesota. So a lot of what, you know, I've dedicated my adult life to, I didn't experience, um, in my youth and it's just kind of naturally I've been led from one path to the next and I, I can't pinpoint it on one thing that's happened to me. <laughs> no, no. Well, but, 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 but you're doing the work. Yeah. You know, doing the work. Yep. and, and have you gotten much, so has there been much resistance as you've gone out in the community? Because obviously this, as we've been talking, this is such a passionate issue for some people, yep. you know, because you start talking about, guns and people are like, well, you're going to take my guns away from me. Yep. So, so you do get that response. A lot of times it's online where people are in the comfort of their own home. Oh, right. Yeah. When you're face to face, like when we're doing our booth at river city days, some people come up a little, you know, defensive, but they we're fine after we talk about why we're there and just want to keep people safe. And, yep. you know, we're not after your guns unless you're going to harm someone or yourself than we are. But, <laughs> well, and you were at River City Days, you were giving out gun locks, weren't you? I yes. mean, you were given, you know, and so that's part of the push from moms. I mean, it's like, yes. okay, here, yeah. we've and spent the money. And, you know, they're so grateful. They want them. And it's like probably one of those things like you've thought about doing. You just haven't done it. So right. we're there. We're giving these away for free. And it's great. So if, if people want to learn more about Moms Demand Action, uh, what, uh, and either nationally or locally, what um, yeah. what what can they what can they do? Yep, you can um, go online. It's a simple Google. There's different text options to join Moms Man Action. I'm really bad at remembering them, and I'm going to get in trouble for that. But that's, that's okay. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> it's the beauty of the internet. Um, so yeah, Moms Man Action has their own site, and then you ease, it's so easy to get connected to local events. And if you want statistics, everytown.org is a wealth of knowledge um, and that breaks it down by state um, you could be on there for hours it's really it's it's quite um informative on on the statistics the the level of stats that they have okay okay everytown.org okay well yep. that's great to know i did not know about yep. that yeah all right well jenna cruz thank you for being on le 2.0 radio and thank mm -hmm. you I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for the work that you're doing with Moms Demand Action to try and make our communities safer, keep our kids safer for sure, but make our communities safer, you know, and, I, and in a 
in a political climate that we have right now, the work that you're doing is very brave and very courageous. So I just want you to know I appreciate you and your colleagues. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. Thanks so very much. All right, everyone. That was uh, Jenna Cruz with Moms Demand, Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Go check out Moms Demand for Action. You can just all just Google that name, and you'll come up with uh, uh, all the different chapters in the country. You'll be able to find the Carver County chapter as well. All right. When we do it, when we come back from our break, um, I'm going to talk about uh, 300 episodes. Okay. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. Now she's We're back. LA 2.0 Radio. Okay. Moms Demand Action. You know, check them out. Um, you know, good organization. Very good organization. Okay. C Block, um, show number 300. <laughs> Jeez. I, you know, so first I wanted to, you know, and Brett, my lovely producer who I just adore, he and I have been talking for several months about the big guest for show number 300, you know, in a market. And I, I've got to tell you, I reached out to try and get Rachel Maddow, one of my like all time biggest personal heroes. Um, that didn't go anywhere. And then I tried to get some other big names on here and that didn't go anywhere. And all of that reminded me, I'm just this little person. Okay. I, you know, I've got like zero name recognition outside of a pretty small circle and nobody has any idea about me or the work that I do. And, 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 and you know what? Most of the time that is just fine. Most of the time that's actually good because it allows me to go to places, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be going out to Meeker County the coming week, okay, to train county employees. You know, if I had a big name, big cachet, no, they would never, you know, they'd never ask me out to go out there, okay? So I understand that having a small footprint really does allow doors to open for me versus they might not open. But on other occasions like this and other limited occasions, it would be nice to have a bigger footprint, have a bigger following. Because maybe I might be able to quicker and more succinctly um, foster some change. But that's not it. So show 300, how'd we get here? So I'll tell you the quick story, all right? Um, Back in 2015, I was running a legal access nonprofit in Minneapolis you know, I was out doing some training on the side. I, my book had come out, Getting to Ellen, been out a couple of years by then. And a woman named Betty Folliard, who had a show on AM 950 about women and, uh, you know, strong women, reached out to me and said she had heard about me. Um, I knew her, I actually had known her son. Um, she said she was going to get my book and would I be on a radio show on AM 950. And I'm like, sure, okay? And I, I, I knew something about AM 950, but I did not know a whole lot. 
And so, and she was very professional. So she got my book, she read it, she called me, she, we did it like an hour interview over the phone, and then I came into the station. She was on one side of the table, I was on the other side. She hooked me up, you know, with the mic and the and the headset and all that, and, and she had written questions, incredibly professional. On the way out the door, we got the interview done, it was an hour to interview about, when we got... On the way out the door, I just said, hey, you know, do you think the station might be interested in having a transgender radio host? Because on my bucket list was to be a radio host, believe it or not, okay? I mean, I had a, I had a, a, a radio show at Coe College, um, the Going Home Show on Friday afternoons, where I played music, okay? But, you know, I really liked it and I wanted to come back. And she said, you know, I don't know, but I'll talk to the uh, station manager. Well, not long after that, the station manager, owner, um, Chad Larson, reached out to me and um, met me for coffee. And we talked about the logistics. And I said, you know, I don't have the money to, to, uh, to buy a sponsorship. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I kind of thought this was an impossible thing to do. But he was, uh, Chad, well, and, and to this day, I adore Chad Larson, um, said, no, I, I, I want you to be on the show. I want, I want you to do that. And I'm like, okay. So we created a show called Hidden Edges Radio, which Brett Johnson helped me put together, which was about humans involved, uh, surviving the human condition. You know, I mean, stories about people facing adversity and coming through. And, and um, that show aired on Sundays, uh, Sunday afternoons, and then on, I think, Sunday evening or something like that. And... Um, and I did that for, I know, about a year, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit longer. I think we probably got in, I don't know, 50 or 60 episodes of Hidden Edges Radio. And then um, Chad came to me and said, well, we've got a, a slot open on Monday morning from 7 to 7.30. Do you want to do a second show? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and that show is the show you hear now, which is LE 2.0 Radio, which is, I wanted to do a show about idealism and idealists, about trying to make the world better, about changing it. Hidden Edges Radio wasn't, yeah, it was inspiring stories, but it wasn't necessarily about people um, trying to change the world. And so we started out with me doing two shows. We did that, <laughs> Brett Johnson, you may remember, we did that for like eight months, two shows, half hour and then come in to edit, do uh, do uh, Hidden Edges Radio. And then eventually everything shifted in the schedule and I, I, I just said I can't do both. And so we picked LE 2.0 Radio and it, it went for an hour. And, um, and then I just start, we started down the road of just going an hour, bringing idealists, highlighting the story of idealists, people trying to make the world better. You know, we've covered everything you know, I mean, uh, three weeks ago, I had John Blake on for the second time from CNN to talk about his book. But before that, we I had him on to talk about how humans group and label other humans and how we need to get through something called radical integration to get to know each other. We've had on, you know, somebody, a black man who convinced Ku Klux Klan members no longer be on the Klan. We've had somebody from the Emmett Till Foundation to talk about Emmett Till's legacy. I, we, you know, I, I mean, I, I can't remember, and I should have written some of these things down uh, to prepare for this, but, but we've had, we've covered the whole landscape. We have, and here we are. So, Elite 2.0 Radio began in 
January of 2017. Here we are now, okay, in October of 2023. Still going, episode 300. The question is, how much longer? I, I, you know, my answer back is, as long as Chad will continue to have me and Brett will continue to <laughs> be my right hand, okay? And then we have some other producers that are really great as well, like Patrick and Dan. But, but as long as they will have me, I will continue to try and do this work, okay? I hope that, because I believe that we need to talk about people who positively work to change the world. I do. So there you go. Episode 300, as they say, in the can. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll be back next week. I don't know who I'm going to have for a guest because it's always a working act, you know, working process. But um, if you like what you hear, tell your friends about this show. Please share about it. Share about me, whatever. Share about my work. Um, but in the meantime, between now and then, when you hear my voice next, go out and do something to make the world better, will you? It doesn't have to be big, but do something rather than just sitting back. Okay? Ellie Krug, over and out.